0: Well, good morning. Um, If you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. And um, we've been talking over the past three weeks, or actually two weeks, about the the resurrection uh, of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and today we're going to talk about the resurrection of the body. Paul kind of breaks this up into three parts, and we're in the third part of this today. And um, really kind of, Kind of starting to dig into the question of, of what's really going to happen physically for those who are in Christ when he returns or when they die. So I'm going to give you a full, clear understanding of that. Kidding. Uh, but I want to spend most of our time in a single verse, in verse 58, to the very end of the chapter. And we're going to kind of race through 35 to 57. Um, and then we're going to kind of camp out, hopefully, and land the plane in verse 58. So, uh, because what's happening in 58 is something that he actually uh, is is kind of, he's hearkening back to verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. Uh, and it's, it, he's, I think he's encouraging our minds to kind of return to where he began the chapter. Um, and it should lead us to asking some really practical questions, uh, which is what we need to do this morning. So... Be prepared for that. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself some questions. Uh, so, let's remember though, let's kind of refire our minds for a second about the things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Verses 1 to 11, we talked about this, the fact of the resurrection. That the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. And therefore, if you're in Christ this morning, it is central to your life as a Christ follower. And verses 3 to 8 uh, he, he kind of unpacks this, that Christ went to the cross to make a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. that He credited his righteousness to us. Take, he took on the wrath of God on our behalf to satisfy God's justice for mankind's sin. He made us sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Scripture even calls us co-heirs in the kingdom of God. We've talked about this over the last few weeks, that Jesus didn't come just to kind of give us a little help, give us a a moral booster shot, show us the way to do it. He came to accomplish what we could never do for ourselves. And that had implications. So that's the second thing. We, We remember the fact of the resurrection. What are some of the implications of the resurrection? Paul gets into this in verses 12 through 34. He didn't come just to make that sacrifice to go to the cross and die, but he was buried And then he rose again on the third day. This is consistent with all the accounts in the Gospels. Acts 1, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 7, where he lives today. Christ lives today interceding in prayer for you and I. John 14, he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a deposit, a guarantee of what is to come. Revelation 7, we await his return. Listen to the words of Revelation 7. Where this is seven sixteen. Never again will there be hunger. Never again will be, there be thirst. The sun will not beat upon us, nor scorching heat. The lamb will be at the center of the throne. Christ will be at the center of the throne. He will be the shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. He will wipe away. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's go. Yeah. This is the gospel. I mean, this is what what Paul's saying, brothers. This is verse one and two of this chapter, and he's he's kind of bringing the plane in on verse fifty-eight. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. What I just said, this is Paul's account of the gospel. What I just preached to you, on which you received and which you have now taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And we talked about this over the last few weeks. 1514, that if, if the resurrection isn't true, your faith is useless. That what we're doing here this morning, go home. Go to Burger Up, go to Mafiosas. I have I hear they have two for ones on Sundays. I'm serious. Come on, get out. If the resurrection isn't true, what we're doing here has no point. 1517 says that if the resurrection isn't true, then we're still in our sins. 1519 says that if all we hope for is just for this life in Christ, for right now, then we're to be pitied more than all men. All of the truth that Paul's been building in these first 34 verses is driving us to something. And I've, I've termed it this, maybe this isn't the best way to describe it, but the practical resurrection principle in action. And it's this. We were made for something more you know it, I know it, it keeps you up late at night, it's like Morpheus sitting across the green pill, the blue pill, the red pill, you know it. All of our art, all of our film, everything in culture is trying to put words to it, trying to explain it. There's got to be more to this life than what we're doing here. Please, please tell me that's the case. downtown, Randy talked about this last week, that Jesus didn't come just to die to save you from hell. Really? Wow. Well, what did he come to do? Well, I'll say this. He also didn't come to die to keep you, as I'm sure maybe many women in this room are, dressed in forever 21. God, I hope not. I hope that it's more than that. I hope that there's more than just keeping me forever 21. You couldn't pay me money to go back to being 21. Sorry for you 21-year-olds in the room. I'm sure your life is much better than mine was at 21. Paul is painstakingly driving this truth home. And we've talked about this. That something's happened for us in spirit. Romans 8. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. We can't read it all, but I would encourage you to go back and study this. Romans 8, 10. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. John 10, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. So there is an already aspect to this. You have, man, this is hard to get our heads around. You have the spirit of God in you spoke the world into existence. If you are in Christ this morning, that spirit lives inside of you. That is a significant already. It's dangerous for you to not understand the implications of how serious that is. To just be obtuse to the fact that that's in you. That's powerful. And He's saying, you've got it. Colossians 2, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you've been given fullness in Christ? What? That's the spirit that lives inside of you. That's what's already happened if you're in Christ this morning. But there's a not yet and that's what Paul's gonna get to in this passage. Verse 37, you can read it up there. It says, when you sow, you do not sow or plant the body that will be but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body each as he has determined. To each kind of seed he gives its own body. 35 to 41, he kind of continues to unpack this idea that, that there is a seed. Something's happened for you in spirit and it's gonna get a body, a redempted body, a whole body, a perfect body. 2 Corinthians 5 is another place where Paul writes about this and talks about this. He says, now we know, this is five, one that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Here we go. We groan. Why? Because we're waiting for something. You guys wait well? Everybody hates waiting. We're American. Americans stink at waiting. We're actually taught that not only waiting is wrong, if you have to wait, something's wrong, but probably if you have to wait... What you're waiting for isn't actually worth waiting for. And even more than that, there's probably a shortcut. There's a way to like, get beyond the waiting. Well, let me tell you, Paul is about to put dynamite in that idea for you. That what you're waiting for, you can get now. He's saying, I'm sorry, you have no clue. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 5 to say, he says, While we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. Now it is God who has made you. If you're wondering why you exist, write down 2 Corinthians 5 5. It is God who has made us for this very purpose. You don't have to wonder anymore. Why do I exist? He has made you for this very purpose, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. He has given us the Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident that we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, we live by faith, not by sight. He's saying something's happened for you in spirit and you're waiting for it to happen for you physically. It's like being, anybody dated long distance? Biggest mistake, right? I'm kidding. Anyways, you know what it's like. They're out there. You love them. They love you. Oh, I love you. You know, mushy. You got your your voice changes when you're on the phone. It's like, hey man, what's going on? Oh, hold on. Hey baby. Yeah. No. No, yeah. I'm good. It's like, are you talking anymore? You're just going like mouse voice. You drive stupid distances at night to get to the person you love when you're dating long distance. Doesn't matter. You know that they're committed to you. You know that they love you, but it doesn't matter. You want to be in their presence. You want the physical. You, want to, you don't want to just hear those words. You want to watch those lips move. You want to hear that person say, I love you. You want the kiss that goes with those words. We are dying to experience in physical what has happened for us in spirit. We're waiting for the unfolding of a mystery. My new spirit being joined with my new glorious body. It is not just a spruced up version of now. It is not forever 21. It's something entirely different. It's like when the iPhone came out. It's true. Everybody knows this. When that came out, phones weren't phones anymore. There were phones and then there were iPhones. And I get it. Sprint and all these guys have figured it out and they've got something competitive at this point. But you remember the early days with the touchscreen stuff, right? It was like, did, did you make this for my kid? Is it made out of plastic where the batteries go? They weren't comparable. The phone was something entirely different. It's like watching The Matrix for the first time. You guys remember when you saw it? Paul's, he's, he's trying to describe The Matrix to people who have never seen anything but Charlie Chaplin's silent films. That's what he's saying. Guys, this is a whole new ball game. 360, <laughs> bullet camera. So not only are we waiting for something, which we stink at, but we're waiting for something that we have a hard time grasping. My mom went and saw Inception. She left after the first 10 minutes, which was a huge mistake, because you would actually be more confused than if you watched the whole film. And I asked her, I said, why'd you leave? And she said, I didn't get it. We don't have an attention span for things we don't get, do we? No, seriously. How's your attention span for things that you don't understand immediately? Move on. Find something else. Do something else. I I don't know. I don't understand it. That's why most people don't spend any time in the Bible. That's why we have a, my generation, our generation is a biblically illiterate generation. Because I don't understand it immediately. And so I just, oh, I I don't know. I can't understand it. So I'm going to move on. We're waiting for something we have a hard time grasping. It's gonna bear elements of familiarity. There will be things that will be familiar to us in the next life. But at the same time, it's wholly different. It's infinitely better. We don't do ourselves any service by describing heaven as like the weekend on the pontoon with my buddies and a cold, cold cooler full of cool ones that never runs out. That's heaven, right? I hope not. Is that really it? That's heaven? Just Weekends at the lake forever? Go to verse 40. I'm gonna read through in bullet point fashion here. Here are some of the things that are gonna be different. These are things that are hard to even begin to understand. Verse 40, earthly bodies to heavenly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly body isn't even comparable to the earthly body, he says. 42, perishable to imperishable. 43, dishonor to glory. 44, weakness to power. 45, natural to spiritual, to supernatural. 49, says we bore the likeness of the earthly man, Adam. That's what we're bearing right now. He says we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Christ. 53, mortal to immortal. 55 through 56, no more death, no more sin, no more law. And 57, he does something very good for us. He reminds us we have victory in one thing, Christ. He did it all. He accomplished it all for us. David Pryor, in his commentary on this, he said, In this whole discussion, Paul is struggling to describe the indescribable. So I'm not going to try. He quotes another guy, George Eldon Ladd, who says, Who can imagine a body without weakness, without infection, without tiredness or sickness or death? This is a body utterly unknown to the earthly historical experience. It is an order of an existence in which the laws of nature no longer obtain. In fact, when one puts his mind to it, it is quite unimaginable. Well, it may be unimaginable, but I'm going to challenge you to think that that unimaginable thing, that it's the deepest desire of your heart, It's the thing that you groan for every morning you wake up, and the thing that you groan for every night when you go to sleep. It's in every conversation, it's in every conflict, it's in every, everything in your life. It's the deepest desire of our hearts. Paul is saying that that desire, that eternity in your hearts that we talk about here in Ecclesiastes 3, the thing that you have the first fruits of in spirit, it is a desire and its fulfillment. Is something that far exceeds your imagination and your perceived hopes. We talk about Colossians one all the time and hear the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans eight says that we, if we hope for something we do not have, it's no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He's saying we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. You, if you are in Christ this morning, you are pregnant, gentlemen. It's the only time in your life you'll get to experience this. Ladies, I'm sorry. Some of you probably could get up right now and give a far greater explanation of what it means to be pregnant. But I can tell you this. I've had a pregnant wife. Everything changes. Her body changes. What she eats changes. How she sleeps changes. The decisions she makes with her time. How much she needs to rest. Everything changes for a pregnant woman. Why? Because she's hoping in the birth of something. She knows it's coming. And so she changes the way she functions as a result. It changes her and she changes herself. She makes choices differently. If you're in Christ this morning, you're pregnant. All of you, if you're in Christ, the Spirit has got you pregnant for something. And if you don't understand it, it's like waking up that TV show, I didn't know I was pregnant. I had a baby, and I was just walking to the, make toast. I don't know how that happens, but it's kind of like that. If you don't understand that you're pregnant, man, it's dangerous. So let's go to verse 58, because this creates a problem, a great tension for us. I already talked about this, that it brings into question our attention span, our ability to wait. But it really drives at this question, what do you do when you, while you wait? How do you wait? What is the quality of your waiting So let's read verse 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right, here we go. Therefore. It's a strong word in Scripture. Anytime it gets used, you better pay attention. That is to say, because of all of the truth that we've just talked about, This is the posture you should take on. This is how it should look. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Be immovable. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Is what Paul's saying here is this, okay, Christ has done it up until this point, and here you go. Now it's time for you to work. Is that what he's saying here? I mean, we we would love to think that that's what he's saying here. All right. thank you, Jesus. Gave me my... Gave me everything I got. Now I'm going to show you. I can do it. I can stand firm. My turn to pull the sled. Well, I'd encourage you this that it's not true. How do you and I stand firm? Well, the first thing is this. And it's kind of a throwaway in there, but it's not. My dear brothers, the first thing is, is you don't stand alone. Many of you, many of a lot of people, live their life in total isolation even though they're around people all the time. No one really knows you. Maybe you don't even know you. My dear brothers, it's a sweet and endearing term that Paul's using here. He's saying, guys, we are in this together. We are part of a family. We are the sons and daughters of God. Brothers, sisters, I'll tell you something. You don't wait well when you wait alone. Anybody ridden a roller coaster by themselves? of stinks doesn't it like it does it just stinks you don't want to ride a roller coaster by yourself why not you want to ride it with somebody that you know somebody that you love somebody you can look over at and get their spit in your face because they're going so crazy and you're like yeah and you can look over and you're like why would you take your shirt off what in the world what's going on ah! we used to do that with the junior high boys uh anyways because you know the photo and you're like hey dude did you take your shirt off uh they wind you around, don't they, before a roller coaster? I mean, they don't like hide you. They, they, they walk you around underneath it. Why? Because they're building anticipation. They're getting you excited for the fact that that is what you're about to do. So don't wait alone. You'll never wait well if you wait alone. Grab someone else's hand in the room and walk the walk with them. Invite them into your life. Build anticipation with one another. This is why we do this. This is why we regularly gather to worship. This is why we have small groups. This is why we encourage you and your friendships to remind one another of the truth, to encourage one another, support one another, suffer and groan alongside one another in the weight of waiting. And how about this one? To rebuke one another. To call each other back to the truth that this is what we were made for. Don't forget it. Stay under the roller coaster with me. Come on, let's look at it again. You remember in Inception when Maul, Dom Cobb's wife, DiCaprio's wife, is sitting in the windowsill? She thinks she's in a dream, but she's not. He spun the totem, and he realizes we're we're not in a dream right now. This is real, and she thinks we're in a dream. And he's trying to talk her off the windowsill. Don't jump, don't jump, don't do it. But she has lived on that windowsill now for a while. She's lived in her questions. She's lived in her dreams. She's lived in all these alternate realities that that this is what life is about. So much so that she can't even know what end is up anymore. And she jumps. Kills herself. Don't wait alone. We step into one another's questions. We step into one another's dream worlds. And we burst the bubble. We call one another back off the windowsill. To reality. This is what's true. This is what we were made for. Second thing and it builds on that idea of inception you must know and remain in the truth. So you don't wait alone and you have to know what's true and you've got to stay in it. What's firm when you stand firm, what's firm is not you. It's the truth you stand in. Verses one to four, he kind of builds on this idea and he's landing it again. This is the gospel which you've taken your stand. Hold firmly to what? To the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. John 15, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Greek word for stand firm here and, and let nothing move you, it's actually really interesting. It's better translated. It says be steadfast and immovable. And the words mean this. They mean to sit. Not to stand, but to sit, to be sedentary, to be firm, to be immovable, to be settled in your mind about something. Has anybody been on, everybody's probably been on a ropes course or seen a ropes course. You're familiar with a ropes course. It's what Americans do because their lives are boring. They have to create a sense of adventure. I got an idea. Let's strap yourself to a pole and do something crazy so you can feel alive. Um, Anyways, wow. That was a dark little commentary I about went (laughs) on to. There's a thing called a pamper pole, which is a pole that sticks out of the ground. Nothing on it except little rungs that you can climb, and there's nothing on the top of it. And the idea of a pamper pole is you climb to the top of it, you somehow get yourself standing on top of it without any ha- anything to hang on to, and then you jump to a trapeze that's suspended by some wire out there. Um, it's crazy, uh, it's pretty fun, and, um, and I've done it before. I did it at a Young Life camp. And it's interesting, because when you start at the pamper pole, you put your hand on the bottom of the pole, and, it, I mean, it's a giant telephone pole. And, I mean, you can't even move it. I mean, it's super solid. It goes in the ground probably almost said hundreds of feet big like they make them only out of redwood uh like 300 foot trees uh no but i mean it's solid like you can't even shake the thing but if anybody's done it, anybody done one of these come on seriously oh, a couple of people you get to the top of this thing and you somehow get yourself on top of it and dude it's like you would think the thing's made out of rubber bands and your legs are made out of rubber bands. I mean, you're just like, bow, wow, wow, wow. And the thing is swaying and moving, and you're trying to get your balance and figuring out, Do I, you, am I going to injure myself even trying to leap off this thing? It's sturdy at the base, but it appears less stable up top. But I'd encourage you, it only appears to be so. Your position on the pole is what makes it feel less stable. The pole is no less stable. It's just where you're at on the pole. The pole's solid. You're the thing that's not solid. You're the thing that's not stable. You're the thing that's making everything feel unstable. 1 Corinthians is a letter responding to questions, to marriage, to lawsuits, to immorality. You see the progression here. Kind of like, hey, how should things work in marriage? in in chapter six, now we're at uh, chapter 15 and we're questioning the validity of the resurrection of Christ. Follow my line of thinking here. Questions aren't bad, they're not wrong. Midtown's probably one of the safest places in the world for you to have lots of questions. But when you live in your questions for too long without returning to something solid, it's easy to begin to question everything. When you live on top of the pole, you spend all your time up there Asking questions like these guys are asking, how's the body raised? Paul's saying, whoa, 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 okay. I can kind of give you some stuff on that, but I can't give you the full enchilada because I don't have the full enchilada. But don't question the validity of the resurrection. What he's saying is get off the top of the pole. Come down to something that's solid that we do know is true. Because if you stay up on top of the pole, you're gonna start questioning whether any of this is real. Here's a modern version of this. Why is this difficult thing happening to me? Why won't God give me what I want? That's a question at the top of the poll. He may not give the answer, but oftentimes he doesn't give the answer to those kind of questions. Feels unstable up there. I'm sad. I feel all kinds of things. What do I do? Well, the truth is this. I can tell you, I don't know maybe why God's letting that happen, but I can tell you why he's not. Because of what Romans 8 says. God is working for the good, all things, for those who love him. So we know that it's not that. It's not that he's not good. It's not that he doesn't love you. He's working it for the good. You may not understand it, so you're going to leave the movie because you don't understand it? Are you going to climb down the pole out of your questions and grab a hold of something that's true return to the base Ryan Adams has a song when you're young you get sad when you're young you get sad so you get high so you get high high. same concept when you're young meaning when you're immature when you've forgotten the truth you get sad you forget who you are. You forget that you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit and that you were made for a lot more than this. And so what do you do? You get high. You go do something to make yourself feel the way you want to feel. You climb the pamper pole and you jump off. I got to do something to feel different. It's a real paradox what he's, he's saying here. He's saying to stand firm is, is you got to sit Sit in the truth of the gospel. Be settled in your mind about it. Life is more than what you and I can perceive right here and right now. And the desire that you and I often reduce to something tangible or haveable, or maybe we even kill that desire altogether because living with it sometimes is just too painful. That that desire is really about the future redemption of your bodies that will match what's already happened for you in spirit. Hebrews 12 challenges, says, fix your eyes on that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Throw off everything that hinders you, that entangles you, that keeps you from being solid on that. So why is this so hard? Why does the resurrection functionally probably not matter to any of you, me, most days? I mean, honestly, how often do you spend time thinking about the resurrection? I mean, I believe it's true. I believe the historical accounts of the Gospels. Why does it have such a small impact on my daily life? Beyond waiting, the difficulty of it. Beyond the fact that we don't have a full grasp of it, which makes it hard for us to hold our attention span. We haven't even talked about the fact that Satan wants to lie and deceive you to believe that that trapeze is what you really want. Jump for it. Paul gives us, direction about what type of labor we're to be doing at the end of 58 and it's this always give yourself to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain what in the world is he talking about what is the work of the lord We know it's not to save ourselves and we know it's not to keep ourselves and we know it's not to do a lot of other things. What is it? It's probably the hardest work for a modern Westerner to sit, to add to your belief, to put a log on the fire of an ember that will never go out because the Holy Spirit has been put inside of you. John 6, I would encourage you this week, go to John 6 and read this passage. I'm just gonna talk about it for a second and I'm gonna land the plane. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they ask him that question. What must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answers them really simply. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And we know that faith is a gift. So why, what what does it mean to to work to believe? To add to your faith. I mean, we're going to talk about this for the rest of the fall in 2 Peter What does it mean to add to to what you've already been given? To fuel it. Put gas in the car of it. Earlier in John 6, he says, don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus calls himself later in that passage, the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, will never be thirsty. Revelation 7, the thing I read before, he's saying you can start feeding on it now. Come to me. Feed on the thing that will actually meet the desire of your heart because I've put my spirit inside of you. Come and eat that. Don't work for food that spoils. Most of our days are spent on vain labor, working for food that spoils, deceived by lies that what we really want is to be had here on this broken, fallen earth, under the power and weight of sin still, Most of our labor is giving ourselves over to the pursuit of things that we believe will meet the deepest desires of our hearts. And he's saying, no, it won't. I have given you myself. I have filled up your cup. I am what you want. Abraham, Genesis 15, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. I am what you want. Paul is saying, hold your attention on this truth. Stand firm in this truth. Sit in this truth. Be immovable in it. Jesus is the bread of life. Feed on Christ. It is the only productive labor. If you are in Christ, it is the only labor that is not done in vain. Everything else you're chasing, everything else you're running for will not satisfy your deepest longings. Give yourself fully to it. Abound in it. So it makes us ask a couple questions and I'll leave us with this. Here are your questions. If you're in Christ this morning, what do you give yourself fully to? Where are you at on the pole? You standing up on the top of the pole, wobbling around, wondering if anything is true? Would you climb down the pole? Would you come back down to the solid truth of the gospel and get your arms around it? If you're in Christ this morning, if you have the Spirit of God in you, give full attention to it. Full attention to the simple truth of the gospel. You have the first fruits. He is going to make what we read, perishable to imperishable, all those things. It is going to happen. It's not an if. It's a when. He's saying, get ready. Walk the line of the roller coaster. Build anticipation for what you were made for. If you're not in Christ this morning... Are you sure the thing that you're giving yourself fully to is really gonna deliver? What makes you so sure? Based on what history? We're basing, I'm basing what I just said on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you sure that you can take what's perishable and make it imperishable? You have that kind of power? Let me pray for us, Lord this is it is it's uh it's a mind bending truth at times, Lord, and um we thank you that you have given us your spirit as the first fruit, a guarantee of what is to come lord and um, man, Lord, I am like a little baby most days. I have the attention span of a two year old I'm so distracted by so many things, Lord, I give myself to so many other labors pursuing things that I believe are really gonna satisfy me, Lord. <clears throat> and I pray that you would forgive me. Lord, I pray that you would do your supernatural work, spark our imaginations and minds to, to begin to, to put logs on the fire of the hope that you've set inside of us, the hope for glory, Lord. Lord, give us the kind of relationships in this room where we lock hands and we we walk the line together, building anticipation for the truth of what you've made us for. Lord, have us step into one another's lives to talk us off the windowsills of our dreams and our foolish ideas, calling us back to reality, Lord. Give us that kind of courage to step into one another's lives like that. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you that this is not it man, thank you that there's more than this. We love you. In your name, amen.